G'day everyone, I'm your host Stephen, and welcome to the Bamboo History Podcast. To those who are new to my show, welcome. I'm a Chinese-Australian guy that got hooked onto Chinese history from a young age and decided to make a podcast about it. This podcast will focus mainly on Chinese history, but it will also feature history of neighbouring East Asian countries too in the future. Please check out my podcast if you're interested in learning a bit of history and subscribe to my podcast to keep on top of my content as I aim to post weekly. I also have an Instagram at Bamboo History Podcast, which features visual content for my episodes, teasers, and additional historical content too small to fit into a podcast. So check out my Instagram too. Thanks. To my existing listeners, thanks again for your continued support through this journey. Before I begin, as a disclaimer, there will be Vietnamese words in this episode that I will attempt to pronounce. As I am not a Vietnamese speaker, I apologize in advance to any Vietnamese speakers if I am not pronouncing them correctly. Okay, now let's get straight into it. I've recently been watching videos on YouTube where people are doing those DNA tests like 23andMe and WeGene and all that, where they spit into a tube and they get their results of what their ethnic makeup is through their DNA. I've noticed that many southern Chinese people, especially those with Cantonese backgrounds, get results from their DNA testing saying that they are also from Southeast Asian countries like Vietnam, Cambodia, and Thailand. Clearly, that can't be a coincidence, right? The only explanation is perhaps people from southern China, Vietnam, Thailand, and Cambodia amongst other Southeast Asian countries, shared a common ancestor. I did some digging and discovered that there was a group of people that existed thousands of years ago that could answer my question. This group of people were known as the Bai Yue people, which is the topic of today's episode. The Bai Yue people, Bai Yue, spelt B-A-I-Y-U-E, was a series of different ethnic groups that lived in southern China and northern Vietnam between around the years 1000 BCE to around the year 1000 CE, a span of 2000 years. In Vietnamese, they are known as the Bắc Viet, and Bai Yue, translated into English, means the Hundred Yue. In fact, the ancient Chinese pronunciation of the word Yue was actually pronounced Viet, as in Viet in Vietnam. To the north of the Bai Yue were the Han Chinese, who at the time primarily resided in northern and central China. The term Bai Yue was coined by Han Chinese historians to describe the ethnic groups and tribes that lived to the south of them. Another name that the Chinese historians had for the Bai Yue people was the Nan Man people. Nanman, spelt N-A-N-M-A-N, which literally means Southern Barbarians. You can already feel the disrespect from the Han Chinese towards the Bai Yue people by calling them Barbarians and generalizing all of these different tribes and ethnic groups under one name. The saddest part to all of this is that we can only determine who the Bai Yue people were and what they did only through Han Chinese historical accounts, because unfortunately for us, 
the Bai Yue people did not leave any written records about themselves. This means we need to be mindful that whatever I describe next about them should be taken with a grain of salt as what the Chinese historians described of them may not be 100% true. This shows how powerful writing is everyone, the power of the pen. In my opinion, whilst there are intricacies between all the different tribes who have been labelled as the Bai Yue, there are commonalities between all of these groups of people which have been described by Han Chinese historians. In the text Xiao Yao Yu, X-I-A-O, Y-A-O, Y-O-U, is a chapter of a book written by Zhuang Zi, Z-H-U-A-N-G-Z-I, in the 3rd century BCE. In the text Xiao Yao Yu, it describes that the Bai Yue people had short hair and tattooed skin. This is in direct contrast with the Han Chinese, who grew their hair long and did not tattoo their skin. They were also described as having lived in small village settlements scattered in the mountains, in the forests, and by the sea. The text Zhan Guo Ce, Z-H-A-N-G-U-O-C-E, written during the Warring States period between the 5th and 3rd centuries BCE, further elaborates that the Bai Yue people in the kingdom of Wu, Wu spelt W-U, would blacken their teeth and scar their faces. You see, teeth blackening was actually a unique coming-of-age tradition for both Bai Yue males and females, where their teeth were dyed black. Another more extreme custom they had was teeth evulsion, and if you don't know what that is, it's where two of their healthy teeth was either removed or straight up knocked out. Ugh, ouch. Some listeners may find these customs weird, but teeth blackening has actually been documented as a practice in amongst various ethnic minorities in southwest China, as well as Lao, the Philippines, and also perhaps most famously, amongst the ancient Vietnamese. Tooth evulsion has also been recorded in Indonesia and in Taiwan, where it was thought it was practiced by the indigenous Taiwanese peoples. Two other ancient Chinese texts, the Huainanzi, H-U-A-I-N-A-N-Z-I, and the Shiji, S-H-I-J-I texts, describe the diet of the ancient Bai Yue peoples. The Huainanzi and Shiji state that the Bai Yue loved seafood and ate snakes and crustaceans all the time. This might be owed to the fact that most of them lived within close proximity to the coast. Whilst the Bai Yue people loved seafood, they were also proficient farmers as well. They practiced wet rice farming and used draft animals, as well as equipment such as plows and raised animals such as buffaloes and pigs. Being close to the coast also meant that they were great seafarers. The Yu Yue people or simply the Yue people for short, spelt Y-U-E, lived in southeast China and were described as, quote, travelling in water like travelling the mountains, end quote, and built exceptional sea vessels to travel the seas and to many parts of southeast Asia to trade with other peoples. The Bai Yue people were skilled in metalwork as well, especially at crafting swords, the most famous sword is the sword of Gou Jian, Gou Jian spelled G-O-U-J-I-A-N, 
which was a bronze sword crafted in 510 BCE, 2,500 years ago, in the kingdom of Yue, during the spring and autumn period of China. The sword of Gou Jin was crafted for the king of the Yue kingdom at the time, whose name was Gou Jin. I'll talk about him later in this episode. When the sword was unearthed in 1965, the sword remained untarnished and near perfect, despite being subject to moisture underground for over 2,000 years. Goes to show you how good their craftsmanship was at the time. I will now move on to a few interesting stories of the Baiyue people. I will tell them in the order, starting from the story that happened earliest in history, to the one that happened the latest in history. The first is a Vietnamese myth. The second is a Chinese historical account that is exaggerated a little bit. And the last story is semi-historical and semi-legend. The first story features two characters. The first is named Luo Long Jun, or in Vietnamese, Lak Long Guan, spelt L-A-C-L-O-N-G-Q-U-A-N, the Vietnamese spelling. The second character is named Yu Ji, or in Vietnamese, O Ke, spelt A-U-C-O. I hope I pronounced that correctly. In the Vietnamese text, Linh Nam Chik Quai, spelt L-I-N-H, N-A-M-C-H-I-C-H-Q-U-A-I, which was written in the 14th century. Old Ke was a mountain fairy who was kind-hearted and she would always help people with her magical healing powers. One day, Old Ke bumped into a large sea monster who tried to eat her. She turned herself into a crane to try and escape, but almost got eaten by the monster. This was when Lak Long Guan who was a sea dragon, came to her rescue and defeated the sea monster. Old Ke was so grateful to Lak Long Guan for saving her that she fell in love with him and transformed from the crane into a human. Lak Long Guan also saw how beautiful she was as well, the human form, not the crane form, and turned himself into a human as well so they could be together. They got together, bore an egg sack, and out of the egg sac came out a hundred children, and these a hundred children were said to be the ancestors of one of the tribes of the Baiyue people, called the Luoyue in Chinese, or more famously in Vietnamese as the Lak Viet. The Lak Viet tribe, which lived in the Red River Delta area in northern Vietnam, has long been proposed as the ancestors of the modern Vietnamese people as well as the ancestors of the Drong ethnic group, Drong spelt Z-H-U-A-N-G, who are mainly found in the Guangxi Autonomous Region in southern China. The second story is set during the spring and autumn period in China, which was between the years 770 BCE to 476 BCE. During the spring and autumn period, China was split into hundreds of kingdoms and city-states and was not united. While most of these kingdoms were Han Chinese, two famous kingdoms were of the Baiyue culture. These two kingdoms were the kingdom of Wu, W-U, and the kingdom of Yue, Y-U-E, which I've already talked about in this episode. 
These two kingdoms were located in the southeastern part of China, in what is currently the Jiangsu and Zhejiang provinces. And even though they were both Baiyue kingdoms, these two kingdoms hated each other and were fierce rivals. Initially, the kingdom of Wu was the more powerful kingdom, and for many years the kingdom of Yue would suffer defeats against Wu and resort to living under its northern neighbour's shadow. That changed when King Jin became the king of Yue. He is the same king of which the famous sword I mentioned earlier, the sword of Jin, is named after, and of which it was for. King Jin tried many times to defeat the Wu and become the more dominant kingdom. However, the Wu, under King Fu Chai, was more powerful and would keep on winning, which culminated in the capture of King Jin in one such victory against the Yue. After he was captured, King Jin spent three years in the kingdom of Wu, not just as a prisoner, but also as a personal servant to King Fu Chai of Wu. That is probably one of the most humiliating things that a king can be asked to do, be the servant of another king. For three years, King Jin held his breath and worked like a dog as a servant for the King Fu Chai, until finally Fu Chai decided that Jin was no longer a threat and was loyal to him and decided to release him back to his home country. When he returned back to the Yue Kingdom, King Jin resolved to take revenge, working tirelessly to strengthen his own country. He even lived life like a peasant, purposely sleeping on rough hay every night and tasting bile every day, Ugh. reminding himself of the pain he went through as a prisoner of the Wu and strengthening his resolve to take revenge. In fact, his acts of self-suffering are reflected in a commonly used Chinese idiom called Wu Xing Chang Dan which literally means sleeping on stalks and tasting gore. And this idiom is used to represent determination and perseverance to complete a task whilst swallowing one's pride and ego. His efforts eventually paid off, and in the year 473 BCE, whilst the kingdom of Wu was engaged in war with another kingdom, King Jin led an army to attack the kingdom of Wu from behind, landing them a heavy defeat. King Fu Chai, whom Jin had to serve for three years, was forced to commit suicide in the process, resulting in the conquest of Wu by Yue, and completing King Jin's quest for revenge and redemption. As a result, the kingdom of Yue became the dominant kingdom in southeast China. Whilst this story has been exaggerated in some parts, the conquest of Wu by Yue definitely happened, and shows that despite certain biases that the Baiyue people were uncivilized, this at least shows that the Baiyue people were capable of building powerful nation-states and complex civilizations. The last story is in parallel with the fall of the Baiyue people, and closes the curtain on this mysterious ancient race. The Baiyue Kingdom of Yue was eventually conquered by another state, the state of Chu, in the year 306 BCE, almost 170 years after King Jin took his revenge. The state of Chu was then conquered by the state of Qin, 
which then conquered all the other states and kingdoms, and united China under one empire in the year 221 BCE, also known as the Qin Dynasty, Qin spelt Q-I-N. The Qin then expanded their empire southwards, invading the Baiyue people's homelands, and then subsequently resettled around 500,000 Han Chinese people in the Baiyue people's lands, forcing the Baiyue people to assimilate into the Chinese empire and the Han Chinese sphere of influence. Various Baiyue groups continued to resist the Han Chinese dominance, but more often than not failed, and by the 3rd century, during the San Guo Three Kingdoms period, all of the Baiyue kingdoms had fallen and were living in subjugation under the Han Chinese. But this is where the final story I want to tell comes in, and it happens during the San Guo Three Kingdoms era, where the story is told in the classical Chinese book, Romance of the Three Kingdoms, or in Chinese, the San Guo Yan Yi. This story is known in Chinese as Qi Qin Meng Huo, or translated into English, Seven Captures of Meng Huo. During the San Guo Three Kingdoms era, there were three kingdoms, surprise, surprise, and one of these kingdoms, located in southwest China, was named Han, H-A-N, the same word as the Han Dynasty Han, but better known by historians as the Kingdom of Shu, spelt S-H-U, to distinguish it from the more famous Han Dynasty that preceded the Three Kingdoms. The founding emperor of Shu, Liu Bei, had passed away in the year 223, and his 16-year-old son ascended the throne. At the time, the Kingdom of Shu controlled lands that were inhabited by Nanman peoples, which I explained earlier can be seen as the alternate reference to the Baiyue peoples and literally meant southern barbarians in Chinese. With the old emperor gone and a young kid as the new emperor of Shu, a Nanman chieftain named Meng Huo, spelt M-E-N-G-H-U-O, sensed an opportunity to take control of their lands again and decided to rebel against their Han Chinese overlords. Meng Huo was a fearsome warrior, and he was said to have worn palmwood armour and rode elephants into battle along with his wife, Lady Zhu Rong, who also fought in battle. And that's another thing, the Baiyue people were very egalitarian in that men and women often had similar roles, unlike the Han Chinese, who was mostly male-dominant. What Meng Huo didn't realise was that the young emperor of Shu had a powerful regent that supported him, and that is the famous Zhuge Liang, spelt Z-H-U-G-E-L-I-A-N-G. He is a famous figure in Chinese history and culture for being an able minister, military tactician, and administrator during the Sanguo Three Kingdoms period. Whilst the book Romance of the Three Kingdoms exaggerates many aspects of his life and achievements, Zhuge Liang is still viewed as a figure of intelligence wisdom and good character in Chinese culture today. Zhuge Liang outsmarted Meng Huo during a battle and then captured him. Meng Huo knew he was probably going to die, but to his surprise, Zhuge Liang not only released him, but also hosted a dinner banquet for him as well. Zhuge Liang's intention was to use his gracious act to move Meng Huo to join his side, 
which would then prompt his Nanman followers to join as well, without having to fight and shed blood to conquer them. Meng Huo, however, was not buying it, and filled with pride and loyalty to his people, when he was released, he dismissed Zhuge Liang and told him that he would come back and defeat him the next time they fought. Well, they did fight again, and Meng Huo lost again. And then he was captured again, and then Zhuge Liang released him again, hoping this time Meng Huo would come to his senses. However, Meng Huo was still bitter and still loyal to his people and was not willing to surrender. This time, Meng Huo cited a betrayal by one of his officers as his excuse of losing to Zhuge Liang, and resolved to defeat him if they met a third time. But he lost again in the third time, and again he was captured, and again he was released. Zhuge Liang also believed that Meng Huo's continued resistance, despite being released again and again, showed that he was very loyal to his people, and believed that if he could get Meng Huo onto his side, he would be a very trustworthy supporter. Meng Huo fought Zhuge Liang another four times, and each time he lost, he was captured and then released by Zhuge Liang. By the seventh time, Meng Huo was finally moved by Zhuge Liang's generosity and patience towards him, that he eventually swore fealty to Zhuge Liang and became a loyal commander under Zhuge Liang and the kingdom of Shu. This tale highlights the value of loyalty and determination, as shown by Meng Huo, as well as the importance of persistence and generosity, as shown by Zhuge Liang. It is almost certain that the Qi Qing Meng Huo, or the capture and release of Meng Huo seven times story, is fictional, given that it is from a fictional book. However, historians have debated on whether Meng Huo existed, and have sort of agreed that a Nanman tribal chieftain like him probably did exist during the Sangor Three Kingdoms period, but perhaps existed as a different person. Nevertheless, Meng Huo's story shows that the Nanman or Bai Yue people had largely been subjugated by the Han Chinese at that point in time, and gradually began to fade away as a civilization and people group. Their assimilation into Han Chinese culture accelerated over the next centuries by further large-scale Han Chinese migration into southern China. Whilst the Baiyue people have all but disappeared, the legacy of the Baiyue people still live on. Cantonese, a commonly spoken variant of Chinese, is said to be descended from Middle Chinese, which was spoken in China from the 4th century to the 13th century. However, besides Middle Chinese, Cantonese is also believed to have had influence from the ancient Baiyue languages, specifically from a Baiyue kingdom called Nanyue, N-A-N-Y-U-E, or known in Vietnamese as Nam Viet. Even more interestingly, some scholars have debated whether the Baiyue people were ancestors of modern Austronesian people known as Proto-Austronesians. Austronesian people are a broad classification of people groups that inhabit the countries of Southeast Asia as well as the Pacific Islands. These scholars have cited the similarity of stone tools and stamped pottery patterns, showing a potential link between the Baiyue people and the Proto-Austronesian groups in Malaysia. Additionally, 
Scholars have also theorized that because the Bayu people were skilled and experienced seafarers, they most likely sailed from Fujian in southeast China to Taiwan thousands of years ago and later became the Taiwanese Aborigines as we know of today. The Taiwanese Aborigines have also been theorized to have been ancestors of modern-day Pacific Islanders, as the theory goes that people originally had sailed from Taiwan, then onto the Philippines, then onto Melanesia and Polynesia where they settled, known by historians as the Lapita culture. Whilst these are all theories and lack substantial evidence, if it were true, then the Baiyue people could potentially be the ancestors of many Southeast Asian ethnic groups as well as the ancestors of modern Pacific Islanders. I mean, the Baiyue people also tattooed their bodies just like modern day Pacific Islanders. And who knows, maybe they invented the New Zealand Maori haka dance too. I'll leave it to you listeners to speculate on all of this. I think this is where I'll end my episode on this mysterious group of ancient peoples that we barely have a clue of, yet somehow might be connected to a lot of us in some ways or another. So yeah, that's it. That's the end of another episode. I hope you found my episode on the Baiyue people interesting. If you wanted to listen to more exciting content like this, then please subscribe to my podcast channel to keep up to date with my latest episodes. I aim to post episodes every week, but if you just can't wait, then why don't you catch up on my early episodes or even listen to them again? Don't forget to also head on to my Instagram at Bamboo History Podcast to check out my visual content for my episodes, as well as additional history content too small to fit into my podcast. I hope you all learnt something new today. I certainly did. Thanks again everyone for tuning in, and I'll see you all next time on the Bamboo History Podcast. Bye for now.